All right, as a church right now, we are studying the book of Luke in the Bible, and I just find it really refreshing to be in the teachings of Jesus every single week. We just, we need this right now in our culture. Uh, if you're sitting down or once you get there, would you just look under your chair? There's a Bible under your chair. I'd like you to grab it. We're going to be staring at this thing all morning, so there's a lot to pull out of here. So grab a Bible. Uh, we're going to be on page 847. Uh, or you can use the Renovation Church app to have Bible and weekly verses. But one of those two ways, I want you to have the Word of God in front of you this morning. Uh, Jesus is, now contextually, he's teaching at a local synagogue, and he's about to make one person really angry and uh, one person really happy. So here we go. This is Luke chapter 13. We're going to start at verse 10 on page 847. Here's what it says. It says, On a Sabbath... Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him. Jesus is going to respond to this guy, which should make you uncomfortable if you're that guy. (laughs) You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. All right, so this passage begins, and it tells us about this woman who's been suffering for 18 years. Now, I don't know if you have back pain. I imagine there's probably a number of you in this room uh, that do, but it can be incredibly painful. Often it's quite chronic. It doesn't go away. With this particular woman, she doesn't merely just have back pain. We're told that she is literally bent over. She cannot even straighten up at all. So for 18 years, she's been hunched over, unable to look a friend in the eye, unable to just enjoy a sunset, 18 years of pain. And I think she, like maybe even many people in this room, she's in pain. She's probably dealing with sadness, and maybe even depression, self-pity. And yet Jesus is about to set her free. Now, there's something really amazing about the wording of this passage. It's there in the NIV translation, but it doesn't really jump out at you. If you were to read the Greek, the original translation, you'd see it. It'd be quite easy to see. Ironically, I first saw this. uh, Let me say this first. Usually when I study a passage, I'll read it in four or five, sometimes even six different translations. Sometimes there's there's a different word they use that sort of catches my eye. Ironically, I first saw this uh, when I was reading the King James Bible <laughs> this week. And I saw it again in the New King James. In fact, I want to show you verse 12 again, but I'm going to read it from a different translation. So this is from the New King James Version. It says, When Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed. The King James, you maybe heard this phrase before. Is, Woman, thou art loosed from your infirmity. 
So she's been tied up by something, right? You imagine your hands sort of tied by something. And Jesus has come and he has loosened the grip of the rope and now she's free. Now watch the parallel. So let's jump to 15, verse 15, same translation. So look in the screen. It says, the Lord then answered him and said, hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water? So look at the imagery here of tied up the loosening of the ropes. It's the same for the woman and for this animal imagery that he's using. And this is going to really matter as we go through the text. See, because like the woman, many of us have been tied up. And you think about this woman. Let's talk about how she's tied up or how she's in bondage. First of all, I want you to notice something about her. She's, she is a believer. She's a believer in God. Verse 16 says she is a daughter of Abraham. That's a way of saying not only is she a Jew, but she's a believer in the one true God. But she needs Jesus Christ because the enemy, the devil, has tied her up. Now, we cannot ignore the spiritual facet of this text as much as some of us may conveniently want to completely ignore it. Look at verse 11. It says that she has been crippled by what? By a spirit. There is spiritual evil involved here. In verse 16, look down at verse 16. Jesus himself says that Satan, Satan has kept her bound, tied up for 18 years. So how do we reconcile this? You know, instead of modern people, we believe in medicine and understanding of science. I look at it this way. I think that we are foolish to believe that all physical ailments are spiritual issues. That Jesus himself doesn't even treat all physical issues that way. But we are also foolish to believe that physical issues can never be caused by a spiritual issue. In fact, to believe that, you'd have to disagree with scriptures like this one. See, this woman, even though she believes in God, she has been tied up by spiritual evil And that spiritual evil has actually brought physical, real-life challenges to her. And we, too, can be bound up. In fact, what I want to do is I want to give you three ways that we as Christians can get tied up. Here's the first one. Number one, we drift and we tie ourselves up to sin. Uh, Why do we do this? We do this because sin looks so appealing. If sin didn't look appealing, then why would you do it, right? Let me give you an example of this. I mean, think about how uh, pornography, for example, is just ravaging Christian believers across this country right now. Well, it looks so alluring, so appealing. Maybe you even tell yourself, well, it's not the real thing, it's relatively harmless. But soon enough, you realize that what looked exciting, what looked thrilling, was really just a rope that you're now tied up with. And even though you don't want to be tied up with it anymore, it's like you can't get out. You're bound. You need something to set you free. Or maybe as a Christian, maybe you've begun to just drift from God. This happens to almost all of us at some season or two in our lives you are maybe backsliding, as the old-timers used to say. And honestly, 
you're just not really pursuing Jesus anymore. Like if I asked you this morning, are you pursuing Jesus? Could you say yes? I think for some of us, the answer is no, I'm not pursuing Jesus right now. I'm just going through the motions. I'm just here at church this morning. So I'm with my spouse or I'm just, I don't know, it's just what I'm, I'm just here because I'm supposed to be here. But in reality, you're, you're out taste testing the world, trying to find out what the world can give you. You're not pursuing Jesus. I was just talking with a guy oh, not that long ago, and he's basically in this exact predicament. He knows that he needs to fully surrender his life to Christ. He knows that Jesus wants all of him and that it would be good, but he just can't seem to leave his old life behind. Like it would be too hard to walk away from his friends, too hard to just leave the comfort of that old lifestyle, right? The weekend pleasures, kind of the convenience of doing whatever you want to do, being in charge of his own life. And yet for all of the apparent excitement of sin, he feels tied up by it. It's not giving him what he wants. He thirsts for something more. This is the living water that Jesus talks about. It's the spiritual life that satisfies. Some of you are in this exact same place right now. You have tied yourself up to this post of sin. Right? Because it looked good at first, but now you see the living water. In fact, you're thirsting for the living water. You want the living water, but you're unsure if you really, truly want someone to set you free so you can go get it. I, mean, what? I would just say to you, that is a miserable place to be. Just sort of straddling both sides. It's, it's miserable. If that's where we are right now, misery is in your forecast unless you let someone set you free. Here's a second way that we get tied up. Number two, something outside of us ties us up. So this is different than us sort of wandering and tying our own selves up. Right? Maybe this is spiritual evil. Maybe it's health issues. Maybe the sin of another person has just affected your life. For many of you in this room, this, this really applies to you. Something has happened in your life, and you didn't go chasing it. It happened to you. This is the situation that this woman is in, right? It was not her choice. It's not like this happened to her because of some bad choice that she made. Many of you know exactly what this is like. Maybe you've been dealing with chronic pain or disability or a health issue. For others of you, you just feel tied up in life because of something someone else did to you. Maybe a spouse left you. Maybe there's still a wound in your heart from something your parents did to you long ago. Maybe you've suffered from verbal or, 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 or emotional abuse, maybe even physical abuse. And for you, life has been anything but easy. I want you to know that Jesus heals this particular woman in the synagogue on purpose. So we're told that this woman is unable to straighten up. That New King James says she's unable to raise herself up. She can't fix the problem. She doesn't have the power to do that. She's tied up by it. And yet Jesus, the Son of God, can set her free. 
Still others of us get tied up by something completely different. It is also in this passage, and that is a false version of Christianity. And this is number three. We get tied up in what's called legalism. Now, if you've never heard that phrase before, maybe you're kind of new to being around the, the church, legalism is this idea that we need to create a bunch of extra rules, then obey those rules, and if we obey those rules, then we can earn God's love. Well, this is the synagogue leader in this chapter. He believes in what we were teaching about last week, the good person fallacy. He believes that if he becomes a good person, then he can earn his way to God. And so, therefore, his belief is predominantly, his life is predominantly about rules. This man knows nothing of the love and compassion that Jesus Christ has for this woman. He doesn't understand the heart of Jesus. And for some of you in this room, even though you may have been in church for a long time, you have lost sight of the heart of Jesus for other people, and even for yourself. And you're just tied up in legalism. Now listen, let me be honest. Jesus gives plenty of commandments about how you are to live. He affirms the Ten Commandments, right? Like do not lie, do not commit adultery, do not steal, and on and on and on. Those things are very important, and they serve a specific purpose. But I think sometimes we misunderstand their purpose. I like to think of it this way. Okay, imagine that you had uh, three little kids, And you just bought a house in Blaine somewhere. And let's say, for some reason, it was right on Highway 65. Let's say your yard went right up to the shoulder of Highway 65. Now, if you had three little kids and you lived right there, what would you do? Well, you would build a fence. And you would say, all right, three little kids. (laughs) You would would never address them that way. That's really awkward. Um, (laughs) This fence is something that you cannot go past. Don't climb over it. Don't go by it. Don't go over the fence. And you would probably say to them, this is for your own good, and it is because I love you. See, that is what Jesus is doing with his teachings. He's protecting us because he loves us. But legalists, like the synagogue leader, and plenty, honestly, plenty of people in the American church today, they come along, and here's what they do. They say, well, we got to make sure, this is really important, we got to make sure that nobody hops the fence. And so what we will do is we will build another fence inside the fence, and this one will be even taller, and we'll make sure that no one builds the fence. And then another legalist gets really excited, and they say, okay, what if we had three fences, right? Another, there's the fence inside of the fence, and then what if we had a fence inside of the fence inside of the fence, and even taller, right? And then we can make absolutely sure that we are pleasing God. That is legalism. And think about what's happened here, right? Because legalism takes you away from the heart of God. Jesus, there's this woman, she's been like this for 18 years. Jesus heals her, and she just stands erect. And the synagogue leader, rather than going, oh my word, this is, wow. Rather than doing that, he looks at the crowd and looks at Jesus and says, nope, rule breaker. You can't do that. This man has absolutely, positively, 100% missed God. And there are people who still live like that today. Maybe it's you. Maybe when you think about Jesus, 
it doesn't actually give you joy. When you think about God, you just think about the latest sin you've committed and how you need to work harder and be a better person. If you're not just finding love and joy and grace in walking with Jesus, it may be that you are drifting and tying yourself back in to legalism. Your faith has just become about obeying rules again. But Jesus wants today to loosen you from that and get you back to his heart, the heart of the gospel, of his love for you. I want you to look at verse 15 one more time, but look at the screen again. So this is verse 15. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose, picture the rope again, it's getting loosened, his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it. This seems kind of just like a, a small verse in the passage, but it is critical in this passage. Because the synagogue leader has said, you can't set this woman free. And now this is Jesus responding. This is behind the heart of his response. So this really matters. Jesus is saying, oh, hold, hold on a second. You set your animals free? Okay, if your animal is tied up on the Sabbath and is thirsty... Do you not loosen the rope and lead it to water? He says, of course you do, because you have compassion on your animal. And then in verse 16, Jesus says, but this woman, she's not an animal. She is a child of God. Isn't she worth more compassion? He's saying, if you, though you are a sinful human, have compassion even on an animal, how much more does a loving God have compassion on you when he sees you tied up? And I want you to know that God sees you, you, tied up to the world. He sees you if you've tied yourself back up in legalism, he sees you if you've tied yourself back up in sin and bad choices, or the devil himself has even tied you up. Jesus sees you and he says, what does he say? He says, I have come to set you free. Like the woman in this chapter, he is calling out to you, saying, I have come to set you free. Now, I think this is strange because that is good news, is it not? It's incredible news. But we have all sorts of doubts and hesitations about that. Some of you, you hear this. God is saying to you today, I have come to set you free. I've come to free you from the sin that you just drifted back into. But you're in your heart right now, you're going, I don't know, not me, Jesus, not me. Jesus I've been running from you. I haven't paid attention to you for a long time. I've been sitting on the fence. I'm playing both sides. Jesus, I'm a mess right now, so I don't, yeah, I don't really know about the whole set free thing. I want you to know something. The true heart of God is in his word for you today. You know what's really fascinating about this particular passage is unlike so many of the other passages in the Gospels, the woman, she doesn't run out of the crowd and then grab the cloak of Jesus. Or she doesn't chase Jesus down and then fall at his feet. No, no, no. Jesus sees her in the crowd. 
right where she is. This is the gospel. Okay, Jesus doesn't say to her, okay, ma'am, if you want me to heal you, uh, you're going to have to kind of, you know, kind of get your life uh, together again. You're going to have to put some work in. Uh, I'll meet you halfway. No, no, no. This is the heart of the heart of God is he loves you in the midst of your mess. You are like this woman. When you can't stop looking down in depression, he loves you. When you can't stop looking down in the pain of your life lately, he loves you. When you can't stop looking down in your shame over your sin, he loves you. And he is saying, I have come to set you free. Now, for some of you in this room, you still have doubts, and your doubts are are different. They're different than that. Particularly if you're in that group, you remember when we had it up earlier, number two on the screen, well, something has happened to you. It's not your fault. You've just been tied up by life. There's nothing of your own doing. Just like this woman. I think for a lot of us, our doubts then are different. I, I, I resonate with this. Listen, I am, some of you know this, I'm a math guy, I prefer, I'm much more comfortable living within reason and logic. So much so that sometimes I fear that if it was me in the crowd that day, and I had been living hunched over for 18 years, and for 18 years, nothing had worked. And I'm in the crowd, and Jesus says, David, David, Come up here. Come, son, come up. I'm going to set you free right now. There's a part of me that fears that I would say, mm, thanks, but Jesus' life doesn't work like that. Let's be, let's be real. Right, you can't just have your problem fixed or be healed. You know, I think a lot of modern-day Christians, we approach Jesus like that. Oh, sure, sure, sure. We believe that he died on the cross for us. We believe that we're going to go to heaven. But it's almost like we've ruled out the miraculous, sort of divine intervention in our own lives. Like we kind of think, okay, if God, yes, if God were to move in my life in this difficult situation that I'm in, I suppose that he could kind of slowly over time, methodically, you know, over the next 10 years, kind of work things out for my good. But we say, you can't just pray and have God just change things in your life. Well, why not? Like, isn't that exactly what happens in this text? Perhaps the main reason that we as Christians rarely ask Jesus to set us free, to loose us from our problems, perhaps the main reason that we don't do that anymore is because we have incorrectly diagnosed that all of our problems are physical problems. That all of our problems are just simply problems that either can't be fixed or they just need to be fixed by some sort of earthly practical method. But look at the Bible. Look at it. Luke 13 is right in front of you. Jesus says, remember that some of your problems are spiritual problems. Do you believe that? Just like this woman in Luke 13. 
And you don't fix spiritual problems with a physical step-by-step remedy. The Bible is saying sometimes we're tied up and we need Jesus to set us free and nothing else is gonna do it. Now listen, I'll just be honest again. This message is a, a, a bit out of my comfort zone. Uh, if you've been coming here for a while, I, one of the things you might have been able to diagnose is this doesn't even sound like a message that I would normally preach. But I just feel like, okay, we're going through the Bible, going through the book of Luke. There it is, Luke chapter 13. It's right there. I'm preaching what the Bible says. I don't know what else you want me to say. That's what it says. And we, do we believe that the Bible is the word of God or don't we? And because I believe it's the word of God, I believe that's what it says, that Jesus can set us free from spiritual problems. Now, I don't know if it's God's will to do something miraculous in your life or in your situation right now. That I don't know. But I do know that he is capable of it. I mean, goodness, last week, what were we talking about? The church was sort of backed into a corner for our future. And we prayed, and some guy donated a $435,000 piece of land to our church. The Bible clearly says you do not have because you do not ask. Would you at least ask God to set you free today? It is not going to hurt you to ask. Let's start treating Jesus like he's the son of God again. Not just some teacher that we enjoy listening to. Who knows what he will do in your life this morning? He loves you. He cares about you. Think about this. Jesus was nailed down to the cross so you could be set free. And for some of you, I just believe he just wants to set you free of something right now. He can do that. It's not going to hurt you to ask, to believe in faith. And because we are this church that we just believe so much that the Bible is the word of God, even when it just feels sort of out of our comfort zone, uh, we're going to do something uh, a little bit different this morning. Uh, We are going to have, as we get into our sort of our last worship song here, we're going to have about 15 members of our, our prayer team and our church leadership. What they're going to do is they're just going to kind of line up across the back there, right behind sort of the back row. And if you want to ask God to set you free from something, maybe it's something that's just been affecting uh, your relationships. I don't know. Maybe it's even a physical issue. I know we don't do that, okay? I, get, I understand that. But do we believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior? Do we not? If you feel like you've just been tied up in something, and I want you to do this last song. There's a whole bunch of them that are going to be back there. I want you to just wander to the back, and I want you to have somebody pray over you. Just say, hey, this is what's happening. Will you pray for that? And we're going to ask Jesus in his name to set you free from that. And I just beg you, please, this morning, let Jesus be more than just an intellectual concept to you. Let him be more than your teacher. Let him be your savior who can set you free. And we're just going to see what God does. All right? All right, let me pray, and then we'll, we'll get into that. Lord, we thank you this morning for just stretching us. As we just go verse by verse through your word, sometimes we come to these passages that feel out of our comfort zone. But we trust you, God. We're just telling you right now, we trust you. We trust that you can do the miraculous. We don't know when you will. But we just believe in that. Otherwise, what do we believe in? God, I just ask in your 
powerful name of your son, Jesus, that you do some amazing things in this church, in this room, today, Father. We know that you can do that. Father, do it. In your name we pray. Amen.